Welcome back to Content Rookie. Today we have a really exciting guest, Patrick, who heads the UX Writing Collective. And we originally wanted to talk about mentoring and coaching, but we ended up talking about a whole lot of things more. And I really hope you're going to enjoy enjoy the episode where we talk about mentoring, coaching, getting promoted, how to develop as a UX writer, but also how to negotiate salaries, issues that we see in the industry. It's a very long conversation, but I think it's definitely worth it if you're interested to learn more about how it is to work as a UX writer and how it is to work in the field. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoy. Hello, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining today. Why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hello, and thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Patrick Stafford. I'm the uh, the co-founder and CEO of the UX Writers Collective, actually co-CEO, mm-hmm. along with uh, founder Bobby Wood. And we, uh, we provide online training and education for content designers, UX writers, and content strategists. Uh, prior to that, I was the lead digital copywriter at MYOB, which is an accounting software provider in, in Australia. Lead digital copywriter is a weird job title. It was really just content strategist, so we can just leave it at that. Uh, and prior to that, uh, in a different life, I worked at PwC, where I worked at the digital consultancy, which had just become an end-to-end UX consultancy. And uh, before I got into UX writing and content design, I was a business journalist in Australia, working for a, a business publication for about six years after I studied journalism at university. So that's led me to uh, to what I'm doing now. So a bit of a whirlwind journey, but here I am. Wow, that sounds really interesting. And you came from journalism. A lot of folks come over from journalism and really enjoy their UX mm. writer life. <laughs> well, I think there are a lot of similarities, right? I think uh, in journalism, you're taught that you need to find the truth beneath a story. And there's a lot of time interviewing people and finding out what's really going on in people's heads and discovering something deeper, but below the the simple narrative that is sometimes a little bit more obvious. And then you take all of that and you turn it into words, which is really just content design. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, it's really no surprise to me why people, people make the jump because yeah, there are a lot of transferable skills. It's always so interesting to me because my biggest dream when I was younger was to become a journalist, but my parents mm-hmm. were very much against it. <laughs> and so no, now, really? because they felt like, you know, my dad is a professor in physics. Like he doesn't understand uh-huh. what I do now either. <laughs> I originally right. studied engineering. Like, uh, you know, I've had this whole, <laughs> this is a whole very long, uh, very trajected career. Um, but, um, he felt very specific about not letting me study anything that didn't have math in it. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but so I, I, I feel so like, it feels so strange to me now to work with like a bunch of UX writers and content writers who come from journalism, because I keep thinking like, but that job sounds so cool. Like, why did you leave? (laughs) Yeah. Look, I mean, it, it, it was cool. It was really cool. I really loved it. And especially when I got to do things like investigating a feature story over a number of different weeks and speaking to different people. Um, the, the publication that I worked at specifically, I mean, this was in 2008. So it was just when the financial crisis hit and it was an online publication. And I loved that because it was, it was even then, like, you know, online publications were fairly new in terms of it being their 100% business model, like not having any sort of print component to it. And that you know that comes with pressure because you're having to write you know multiple stories a day you're having to continually update them mm. and so there is a lot of pressure there to deliver um yeah. and ultimately i i left that because i just wanted to pursue other interests in in tech but you know i think the the journalism can be romantic it, it's interesting it can be both romanticized and put down by people who are outside of it because at its best it's this you know grand um all the president's men style Mm. investigatory uh 
um, occupation. And at its worst, it's, you know, muckraking and headline seeking. Mm. And often the, um, the truth is mostly in the middle, but you are right when you got a great story and you discovered something that actually had an impact on something, yeah. then that's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. Wonderful feeling. Yeah, no, that sounds, that sounds really cool that you, you got to do that. And like, you know, now you're here. And uh, that's also great. I'm not saying UX writing is not fun. <laughs> Don't get me wrong to everyone that's listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think if you're a writer right, if, or a designer, well, I mean, there are multiple different things that you can do with your craft, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you are someone who's interested <clears throat> in, in language specifically and content, there are a number of different jobs that you could do to satisfy yourself and to satisfy your, your interest and love for language. So it's really no surprise to me that when speaking to a lot of UX writers and content designers, they they write poetry or they write fiction or they've written all types of different reports or yeah. all sorts of different outputs because I think they understand that this isn't just one thing that will satisfy them. They can transfer those skills to a number of different number of different places. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. All right, Patrick, we kind of discussed before this episode that we wanted to talk a little bit about the topic of mentoring in UX writing mm. and content strategy. And I'm just going to share with you why this topic has been a little bit more top of mind for me lately. So sure. one thing that I've been noticing, and you probably saw I tweeted about it a lot as well, is that there there is a much higher demand for UX writers than I think there has been a year or so ago. But it feels mm -hmm. like everyone is already looking for a senior UX writer. While we don't actually have that many yet, there's a lot of people trying to break into the industry, a lot of people that don't have that much experience yet. Uh, and some of those folks reach out to me and they get really frustrated because they see all these senior positions and they feel like no one is really giving them a shot. Um, and then actually together with another UX writer who's a full-time consultant, her name is Amy. Shout out to, to Amy if she's listening. Um, there was another, there was a client that was looking also originally for a more senior UX writer, but it was pretty clear that they didn't really have the budget, um, that they would probably have to go for someone more junior. Uh, and we ended up making a deal with them where essentially we said like, hey, we can help you recruit a more junior writer that is like very eager to, you know, get into the field and learn. Um, and at the same time, we'll help mentor that writer for you. So the more complex issues they had, for example, they needed to also set up an entire localization process. Um, they needed to start all their documentation from, from scratch. We'll be there the first couple of weeks or months to kind of help the writer through that and share our knowledge directly um, with that younger writer. And that setup was amazing. It worked really well, or it is working really well. And um, it feels like a win-win-win. Like the company benefits, um, the junior writer benefits. She's really like picked up and like grown really quickly, learned a lot of new things. And I mean, of course, we kind of benefited because we also get paid. And at least uh, Amy and I were really passionate about sharing our knowledge and, you know, trying to help out and support. Um, so that was kind of what prompted me to think more about this concept of, yeah, mentorship in general in the industry. I know a lot of people kind of do it on the side. Someone maybe reaches out to them on LinkedIn with a couple of questions. They maybe hop on a call. Um, I know I do this a lot where I try to to help people out. I try to maybe take a look at their portfolio or their cover letters. Um, but, you know, it's we're also in an industry where the pace is pretty quick. And um, a lot of us don't have that time. A lot of us feel really burnt out. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Have you made any experiences with mentoring? Is there anything you see that could really make it easier in the field? Any thoughts you have? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that there's a few different things going on. I want to sort of break them down one by one. The first is what you mentioned before with regard to companies looking for more senior people mm. and you know why that is and what's going on there now on one part of it it's because they don't want to invest more time in training someone mm. and that isn't specific to design that's that's across a whole number of different industries um businesses don't invest as much time in training their newer employees as much as they used to there are a whole bunch of reasons for that but it's sort of too long to go into now but um it's important to recognize that this is a problem in design, but it's also a problem in other industries as well. I think when it comes to specifically the content design market and, and UX writing, 
what I think has happened is that you are right. Over the past few years, more people have sort of gotten into it. And so we don't have that strong base yet Mm. of content designers. And I actually think there's quite a gap in the middle. So you have a number of people who are very experienced and have over 10 years of experience, 10, 15, even 20 years of experience, Mm. right? So, uh, you know, I think I mentioned my co-founder, Bobby, or she is the founder, (laughs) Bobby Wood, of the Electronics Collective. Um, She's been working in San Francisco uh, in any type of content design role you can imagine for, you know, over two decades, right? So there are people of her caliber who have been around for that long. And then you also have a number of people who have gotten into the game within say the last five years, right? Yeah. There are, there are not a lot of people in that senior mid to senior role Mm. who would probably be the ones who are mentoring those junior writers. Yeah. Um, Now look, this has been my experience. So people in other areas may have a different experience, particularly in Silicon Valley where you have, there are just so many content designers there that you are probably going to have, that's going to be less of an issue. But outside of that ecosystem, you have that gap. And I think that's creating a lot of, well, I think the other problem as well is that companies don't necessarily know what they're looking for as well. Exactly. When they sit down to write a job description for a UX writer or a content designer, it's often not coming from a content designer. Mm. It's coming from a head of design. And I have personally experienced sitting down with a designer in a job interview, a head of design, and they're asking me questions about UX writing and content design. And I just think, why are you asking me these questions? Like what, like this, this doesn't seem like they don't really seem like they know a lot about what they mm. need from a content designer. Yeah. And so they, as a result, they think that they need someone senior, right? They need someone who can come in and sort of tell them what to do mm. because they actually don't know themselves. They, they really don't know what they need from a content designer. So part of this will be solved by content design becoming more mature and that becoming a more ubiquitous part of design education. Um, Regarding coaching and mentoring, I think we should uh, we should distinguish those two terms. So what I think a lot of people refer to when they talk about mentoring is actually coaching. Mm. Um, and mentoring, I think, is something a little bit different. So the way I see it is this. The, the distinguish, distinguishing feature between a coach and a mentor is a coach is something, is a, is a relationship that is primarily transactional. Yeah. So I, and that transaction may not be money. It's often just time. So, but there is a specific goal involved. So it's, uh, hey, Nicole, I, you know, I, I saw you on LinkedIn. I see you're really experienced at Spotify. I would really love your advice on my portfolio. Do you have time for half an hour, 45 minutes to look over it with me and give me some advice? Yeah. Then you sort of part ways. And, yeah, you may catch up again, but it's not really uh, about work. It's more social, right? So that, that to me, is a coaching relationship, right? A mentor is something altogether different where it's typically unpaid, in fact, mostly unpaid, and it's someone who will invest a lot of their time and effort into you as a person, Mm. not just in order to reach a specific goal. So I understand that the word mentor is used a lot online in different contexts. And I I think, you know, it's not necessarily wrong. I I just like to distinguish those two things because I think if you're going to start up that type of relationship, you need to be very clear about what the expectations are. So you did that with the company you just mentioned, where you said that you were going to be alongside that junior employee and you were going to guide them through their first few months. See, I would call that a coach. I call that a coaching relationship because that's more of a transactional thing. Whereas a mentor would be if you're meeting up with that employee, no matter what job they're in. Right. And, and you're, it's almost more like a, um, you know, they're a protege of yours, so to speak. Um, So that's the distinguishing factor I see in those two relationships. I think it's really good that you mentioned that because I really recognize a lot of this, a lot of the questions where, you know, someone uses the term mentor, but they're very like 
they're very precise. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I get yeah. a lot of, can you mentor me to get a job at Spotify? Which, fun fact for everyone that's mm. listening and sending me those messages, I always ignore them because I am more <laughs> than my employer. Um, hint. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I agree. And I think that's also why I, I've seen a big inflation when it comes to the term mentorship, which is why I think it's really good that we're having this discussion. Um, there's a lot of new services kind of trying to support that. And um, it feels like it's like everything in our world getting a lot more, oh, but instant, instant success. I instantly want something from this. I want to like see the advantage right away. I want to benefit from this, like on mm -hmm. my first call or however you meet up. Um, and it's a little bit less about the long-term relationship. So, um, hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it's really interesting that you're bringing that up. Yeah, and I also think it specifically when we're talking about content design, um, you mentioned as well that we want to give we want to give back to people, mm. um, but we're often tired and burnt out. And so, how do you how do you balance those two things? Mm. Um, because if a company was going to ask me, "Hey, I'd love two hours of your time." to talk about a strategy for doing X, I would say, cool, no problem. He, I, I charge X amount. Um, please accept my fee oh. and we'll, I'll be happy to get started, right? But when someone messages me on LinkedIn and says, oh, you know, I really need a, I, I'm re, I re, would really love some advice. I'm looking for a job or, you know, I've done 10 interviews and I'm not, you know, I'm not getting anything. Like, can you please like meet with me? Yeah. Um, I don't charge for that. Exactly. Well, I, at least I haven't. I haven't yet. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that there is a balance to be made there because if we are going to be serious about saying that we value our time, should we be charging for that? I mean, mm -hmm. I think there's a good. I think there's a good argument for it. Also, taking into account the fact that I don't want to charge people who don't have the means to pay that exactly to pay that fee yeah. right so yeah it's complex I I totally agree with that and as you I've never charged for it and I think spent more time than I probably can afford on helping folks mm -hmm. out and like something that I really think specifically the tech industry and the big players in the tech industry could benefit from is if they would actually allocate a budget to those writers mm -hmm. and probably also designers or maybe also other disciplines where it has the demand has gone up and it is maybe hard to recruit for these positions like allocate a budget so i can maybe you know spend it on mentoring folks and like actually get something mm -hmm. for my time because i think the company will say well it's not in our interest we want all your dedication to go towards our job but if they would think a little bit more long term in regards to really mentoring up like younger folks so they can take those roles. I think in the long term it could pay off. Um, it's a very idealistic way of looking at things as usual yeah, from oh, me. No, but I think it's just the long term, right? And it's the same way we talk about design. You you make you, you avoid short term trade-offs in order to have long term gains. Yeah. Right. So I think it's a it's a great way to look at it. I think one of the problems with the way companies uh, go about hiring now, especially in content design, is that well? I already mentioned they don't really know what they're looking for, right? So they 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 think that they're looking for someone senior, but actually they can get someone who's a junior and yeah. with a little bit more hand holding, they yeah. can get them there. So sort of exactly what we're saying. But the other problem is that there is so how do I articulate this properly? <laughs> um, there is also a hesitancy among design teams to put time and effort into employees who are junior of any stripes so yeah. uh, in, in any sort of discipline yeah so uh, the same goes for junior developers the same goes for junior designers or even product managers yeah. right so i and I do think a product manager is a part of a design team. There are not really a lot of, at least I haven't come across a lot of pathways for people to become a product manager. Yeah. Um, I know that there are courses on how to be a product manager, but it's often like people start off as um, uh, a project manager and then they sort of move in there. But there's really, if you're in design and want to become a product manager, there's no real career, set career 
goal to get there. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, like, you know, these things are nebulous and they can be vague and that's mm. part of life. But I think when it comes to content design, one of the reasons why companies don't want to hire juniors is because they haven't figured out a career pathway for them. Yeah. They don't know what it looks like. If you go to a job, right, you want to know, okay, cool, I'm in this job. Where can I go from here? What What's at the what's at the top of the what's at the top of the heap, so to speak? Yeah. And for instance, you know, at, at Spotify, I, I don't know what the specific title is, but I do know that there is a head of UX writing. Um, not anymore. So you know it. <laughs> oh, not anymore. Okay, nope. well, uh, there certainly there certainly used to be. Has that changed, or what's the? What, yeah, what is it now? I mean, actually, I think this even changed before my time, so I honestly don't know all the details. But I think the highest oh, okay. position we currently have is principal UX writer, um, oh, okay. which would be yeah. a couple of steps above senior UX writer. But like, I think it's really good that you bring this up because I even feel that companies who say they have a development path for UX writers don't really do. Because mm -hmm. most of the companies I've worked with, and I've worked with other big tech players outside of, of Spotify um, as a freelancer, so I can't like mention the names directly. But um, a lot of them have like very deliberate titles for, for their content strategy or UX writing development. But I've never really met mm -hmm. anyone with any of those titles outside of like UX writer and senior UX writer. Um, it's very okay. unclear how to get there. And I've actually talked mm -hmm. to a couple of them about it. And usually the response I get is always pretty much the same. Since often a content strategist or UX writer reports to a design manager instead of like a specific UX writer, um, what I always get from the design managers is, oh, well, I don't really, I'm not a UX writer myself, so I'm not 100% sure what you do, how you work. So I don't feel comfortable evaluating your work when it comes to more senior positions. So like when it comes mm. to going from like UX writer to senior, they're a little bit more comfortable. It's maybe much clearer to see kind of the patterns and the behaviors you would want and like how they're taking responsibility. But then when it comes to anything above that, it's harder to draw those parallels maybe between a designer that would go that path and a writer that would go that path if you don't understand mm. UX writing that well. And, you know, most design managers also have a lot of direct reports. They, they're very busy. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of writers really kind of stagnate and they and they get stuck mm. almost in this, like, senior UX writing title. Um, I, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I, I think of my time at MYAB, um, before I became a manager, my... Well, my manager was always, uh, he was the head of UX in our department. And when we hired a couple of other UX writers, he managed all of us separately. So he was looking after, I, I was a senior at the time, mm. and the other two were, were juniors. And he was managing all of us. But the issue is because he was not a UX writer or a content designer. Mm. So he would be saying to them, or that he they would come to him with, uh, wanting feedback and he would say he would just go talk to Patrick talk mm. to Patrick because he just couldn't give the type of content specific feedback that I could you know he could he could talk about the user experience overall but he couldn't talk about oh you you know use this word instead of that word or that that word yeah. you know he just didn't have the, the the language to do that and so when I became a manager and started managing those two it became much easier for them to know who to go to when it came to getting critique and, and feedback on their work. So you are correct. It's it's there's a real gap there. And I think one of the questions that you know junior UX writers and content designers need to ask um, if they're going for a job is to say, who am I going to be getting feedback from? Right. You know, like who, who am I, who am I now if you're in a large organization like Facebook, which has an established content design hierarchy, that's going to be very easy. If you are in an organization with a less developed uh, discipline, mm. I, I can't even think of an example right now. But let's say you're at a, in, I don't know, like an investment company that's creating a digital arm, and they mm. need a UX writer for yeah. their software. Right? You're probably going to be the only person there. Yeah. So having a coach is a great way to an external coaches to make sure is a great way to make sure that you're getting the feedback and the development you need. But hopefully this will change as more of those junior UX writers start getting jobs and, yeah. you know, developing in the field. No, I, I definitely agree. And like, as part of, I have a lot of, <laughs> it sounds a bit weird to say that, but I actually 
I'm friends with a lot of UX writers in real life um, at like different mm -hmm. smaller, bigger companies. Some of them were the, the first UX writing hire. Some of them have been there for a while, have, have been promoted, have gone different paths. And funnily enough, I see this issue even in those companies who have more established teams and there maybe is a head of UX writing or a director of UX writing or whatever it's usually called. Um, because mm -hmm. what I've seen is that when a company decides to bring on that type of person, um, that means that there, there's already so much that isn't working with UX writing um, that they're basically just expecting that person to magically fix that then the actual kind of practical parts of the mm -hmm. job where that person could maybe go in and coach a little more and go in and get maybe a little bit more involved in specific projects to help the younger or the less experienced writers out, that is not prioritized because there's so much that is already kind of burning that like the fires that that person has to put out um, that I've actually not often seen those positions be super successful unless they've really been like brought in at the right time with a lot of support. Um, so yeah, I think that's like mm. another problem that even those companies that realize, okay, we probably need to hire someone here to kind of manage my, the team of UX writers. They don't put them in the right context. Uh, and in, in my opinion, don't set them up for success in that way. And I think another thing that comes into this is in most design teams, of course, the ratio between writers and designers is way off. Um, there's like, let's say 10, 12 designers, mm -hmm. if not more, one writer. And then if you get in the more junior designer, even if the designers are busy and they don't really have time to coach this person or to help this person out, between amongst themselves, they can kind of divide it. Uh, and the junior designer can learn a little bit from this person, then go maybe work with another person on another project, learns a little bit from them. So it's a less of a workload to actually, you know, like give that more junior designer skills and teach them and coach them. While if you bring on mm -hmm. a more junior writer, you essentially have no one <laughs> to take on that. Mm -hmm. So they're basically from the beginning, just thrown in, kind of left alone, uh, need to figure it out on their own. Maybe they have some other writers and other teams in the same company, but it's rarely going to be super relevant for them to collaborate. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And they, and they can also, I, and I agree with that. I think a couple of points there. I think the first is that, um, when you have someone like that who comes in and you're putting way too much expectation on them, especially at a junior level, mm. you can develop some really bad habits. Mm. And I, I mean, I speak from experience, right? Like I came into NYB, I was the only content designer uh, there and in my department, specifically in my area of the company. And so I was basically just trying to make things up as I went along and creating policy and procedure as I went and that leads to things like my bad habits becoming the company's bad habits then yeah so for instance like one of my weaknesses is documentation right like I'm I'm not great at documentation uh it's it's a weakness because I am biased towards impatience and just doing things mm. and then sort of worrying about the documentation later yeah. which meant that in our content design discipline in our area of the business it wasn't until I brought on a, a junior who was excellent at documentation that I really, you know, got my got my backside kicked into gear, right? Mm. And so had I been better at documentation at the beginning, that wouldn't have been a problem. If I had a mentor on top of me saying, by the way, you really need to get on top of your documentation here, yeah. I would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, no problem. Um, so there's that. The, the second thing is I think there is really a need for coaching and mentorship at every level. Yeah. So we, we've talked a lot about juniors and, you know, bringing them up to speed to that, to that, you know, that mid-level, but there is a need for that mid-level, you know, how do you go from like good to like really, really good and then great at Spotify to a senior UX writer to a principal UX writer, that senior to principal jump I found is actually, I, I found quite hard. Yeah. So to go from, to go from because when you, I'll speak from again from my experience when I when I went from a junior to a senior, the difficulties were all around the work, yeah. right? So it was all about you know things like attention to detail and understanding the implications of content testing and looking beyond what you're writing to the you know connecting to the overall strategy and you know really taking it working across disciplines and. Um, you know, it was all about the work, like being a really great practitioner. Yeah. And when you're going from that senior to lead role, 
then it becomes much more about people Mm -hmm. and how do you handle relationships in order to get things done. Yeah. So things like influencing without authority and, um, you know, getting people on your side and it's quite political and that's not necessarily in a negative way. It's just the political realities of, of navigating around an organization. And there is coaching and mentorship needed for that because not every UX writer should should be managing people, right? We need to have the right people in management positions because bad managers can really screw people up. Yeah. So I think there's coaching and mentorship needed for people at every stage of their careers. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think an additional layer of complexity there, specifically when you're trying to, you know, go the next step from senior UX writer to maybe a lead role where you're going to become a manager is that because it's still quite new to the field to have that level, um, there's not a lot of best practice you can look at. Like you really have to probably define that in your company, especially if you're maybe the first one that is going to go that way. You're going to have to redefine all of those processes that you maybe just built for your previous position. Um, Now you have to build all of these new processes for the more managerial position. Uh, And so I think it's also a lot it's a lot more work than I think people realize. It's not mm. just about suddenly, okay, suddenly I'm, I'm having a couple of direct reports. I, I don't think it's that easy, or at least I've seen a lot struggle um, and quickly get frustrated because they didn't get help, because they didn't get a coach or like someone that could really hold their hand there a little bit. Totally, because the problems you start dealing with are very like people-based. Yeah. You know? It's suddenly you're dealing with a direct report who doesn't feel confident about their abilities. You know, you're dealing with another report who's dealing with something at home. And so that's affecting their performance. And yeah. so all of a sudden the, the, these issues become much, much different to the ones, you know, you've already experienced. And it's, if you're not, and look, I know part of the problem is I know that there are companies that like to say, oh, you can be an individual contributor or you can be a manager, you can go on the manager track. Uh So, you know, it's like I see one through eight, but you could, you know, you don't, I know, for instance, a Dropbox, I don't know if this is still true, but at one point I know that it was, you could choose the individual contributor path or you could choose the manager path, right? And those were two separate paths with separate types of training, right? Mm. Um, But the reality is, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying it's it's the reality of the industry. You are not going to be able to get into places of influence as easily as if you are a manager. Exactly. So and so that leads to people getting into those positions before they're really ready. And mm-hmm. so the more I, I personally think in content design, we could stand to have a little bit more coaching and mentoring about th- that jump from the from the from the um, the mid level. To, to senior and beyond yeah I think that's the that's the jump that people really need to understand because um, you know I, I I hear a lot from content designers they go like oh you know we're pushed out of the process and and you know we're not part of the process and and so on and so on and on the one hand like I, I agree and I share that frustration right because it is I mean I've been in that position. Right? Uh-huh. I've been in that position where you realize why wasn't I invited to that meeting yeah. or, you know, why, you know, why isn't this happening and so on. Um, so totally get it. On the other hand, it, it is still your responsibility to change that. Yeah. No, no one else is going to change that for you. Exactly. And learning how to do that is a skill. It is a skill that takes practice and you need someone who is going to hold your hand alongside you and say, okay, you're doing this. When you do this, make sure you do these three things. Go and speak to this person per, first, first person, this person first, get them on board. Then you'll get these other people on board as well. And before you just send this email, just so you know that you're doing that properly and you've got it in writing and so on. Hmm. It's those types of practical things that can help move you from that mid to you know senior level, uh, which will then enable solving the first problem we talked about which is why aren't we hiring juniors if we can help more of those juniors get to that mid to senior level role then we're in a position where ux writers and content designers are now hiring ux writers and content designers themselves yeah i I think Um, it's 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 really great that you're bringing that up because 
I always feel like there's a lot of frustration in the content design slash UX writing field um, because I think people feel left alone and, and you know, like you said, you get excluded from meetings. You feel like you constantly have to, you know, defend your job and, and try to get involved in different ways. And like you said, it really is a skill set and it's also an attitude. So often those writers that I have actually seen be promoted beyond senior, um, they really have a very specific attitude about going about it. They're not necessarily much more successful than the other ones, but um, it's just easier to work with them in a way. And it's a little bit less frustration there. Uh, usually what I see mm. happen with others that try to go that path and maybe, you know, fail in, in to do that, um, they get very frustrated. They end up, you know, trying to go to a different company, do it there, usually also fail there um, and kind of feel very stuck. Mm -hmm. And then it's when this when these conversations start around, OK, like maybe I should leave UX writing. Maybe I should do something completely different. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, talks about it's so difficult to develop as a UX writer. I don't really know how to take the next step. Um, and I totally understand that frustration as well. But um, I really hear you and agree with you that the attitude and how to want to get to that next level. It's so vital. And honestly, it constantly is trying out new ways of working. It constantly is maybe checking out how yeah. to, to work with a different stakeholder, maybe how to win someone over. And yeah, that's, that's a lot of work and it's not a lot of writing, <laughs> but it's, it's a very significant part of the job. And I think anyone that wants to go to a design or sorry, writing lead position, um, they also have to accept that it's probably not going to be a lot of writing. <laughs> so they might as well yeah, get used uh, to that, it. That, it's, I mean, it's a, to your first point, it's the same thing with journalism. It's actually less writing than you think is going to be in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I think one of the issues with content design right now is it, it's maturing in some ways, which are great. You know, we're, we've talked about job titles and we seem to be coalescing around this content design term, which is, you know, a good, I don't necessarily think it's either good or bad, but it's more interesting and it's a sign of maturity. Yeah. But I also think we tend to, uh, I'm probably going to piss someone off by saying this, but we, we, we're a bit whiny. Mm, um, yeah. you know, we've reached this point now where um, we're, we're complaining a lot. And, and by the way, like I'm guilty of this as well. So this is not finger pointing at anyone. Um, you know, we're pushed out of the room. You know, we're not attending this meeting or we're not attending that meeting. Um, you know, why don't the designers like us, you know, so on and so on. I feel like we've, we've had our, our, our teenage moment, like our mm. teenage moment of, of complaining and eye rolling and so on. And now we need to, we need to, you know, grow up a little bit and we need to understand that no one else is going to put us at the table. We are going to put ourselves at the table. And in order to do that, we need to assume that we have the power to change internal power structures. Yeah. And you should behave as if you do have the power to do that. Exactly. So, and the way you do that is not through demanding it. The way you do that is through carefully navigating, okay, who's in charge? How do you get people on board? And then articulating the benefits of being in the room more. And the more you can, and look, I get it. The, the, you don't want to spend 75% of your time advocating for the fact that you exist, mm. right? Like, you, I get it. But at the same time, that's the important work that you can do. And maybe if you do it now, people will, in you know, a couple of years, will have a much easier experience yeah. um, because of the work you're putting in. And you can really change that. So I get a little frustrated when I hear people say, like, oh, I can't change it on my organization. And you know what? Like, that may be true. Like, that may 100% be true. Um, but just, I mean, at least try it and then you'll know right yeah. because then you'll know that have you had the meeting with so-and-so i mean literally have you emailed all the product managers and have you asked like hey i'd love to get together to talk about how content design could be more integrated with the design process yes um have you talked to the head of design right just people assume that they can't it's funny i had a um direct report um he said to me once uh this is at myab he said, oh, you know what? It would be really great if this piece of text was included in this screen. And I was like, yeah, that would be really good. And I said, you should talk to uh, the product manager about it. And he's like, oh, but that's not really in our area. And I'm like, who cares? Like, you've got a good idea. Just go talk to them. And he's like, oh, I don't really know them. And I'm like, well, this is how you get to know them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is, how, this is how you get to know them. You email them and you say, hey, I'm... Over in this area, I have an idea about how you know this could 
really help your product. And that's how you articulate it, you know, benefits for you, not just like, oh, I think it would be cool. And then uh, that's how you make that benefit. And he did, and he went ahead and did that. So I think the more we take on that type of, uh, the, you know, that type of mentality, you know, ask forgiveness and not permission, um, the better it'll be. And the more it'll fix all the other problems we talked about. Yeah. And I think, again, it's a really good point that you've raised there. And one thing that I've said a couple of times on this podcast before, and I usually get some angry messages, is that <laughs> I think UX writing is one of those writing disciplines that people get really excited about. And I honestly think it's primarily because they see the salaries and they think like, wow, like I want to be a writer and here I can actually get paid like a tech worker. It's like the best of both yeah. worlds. But I think people don't yeah. realize that it requires very specific skills that honestly, I don't think every writer has. Like it's, it's not, mm -hmm. I'm introvert. Um, and I feel like this is a very extrovert, First position. I have to talk to so many people. I often have to discuss and kind of fight for, you know, my space on the roadmap, for, for getting buy-in, for projects, for getting people to agree to proposals. It involves a lot yeah. of conversation and discussion and a lot of skills that uh, when I was working just as a copywriter, for example, I didn't really need. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you yeah. really need to enjoy using those skills and in the beginning most likely developing those skills and really bringing them to the table and you need to be comfortable with okay like i am like you said probably going to spend half of my time talking to people and advocating for stuff mm. and um you know you can get frustrated about that i sometimes get frustrated about that as well of course but i also find it quite exciting like it's a challenge in its own and if it does work out and you do manage to build like a good process with a team or with a certain PM. I mean, that's really rewarding. And I don't know, I, but I think it's a very yeah. specific role. And specifically when I talk to people that are breaking into the industry or wanting to break into the industry, uh, I say this to them and they get very, I wouldn't say they get disencouraged, but it's more like they just don't believe me <laughs> that it really is like right. that. Yeah. And um, they, they, you know, they try to blame it on the company. Oh, like maybe you have issues like this in your company, but I've heard at over at Airbnb or, you know, at Facebook, like it works this way and that way. Um, but like, number one is not all of you are going to get jobs at Facebook. Fun fact. Um, <laughs> and the reality is that it usually is like that. It is a little bit more complex. You're going to have to spend a lot of time advocating, talking to stakeholders, figuring out ways of working. That's not what you want to do. Maybe don't go into UX writing. And, you know, I, I really don't like I think it's great that so many people are excited and they should definitely check it out and read about it and learn about it. But I think, you know, it, people are different. Personalities are different. People have different needs. Not every job is for everyone. And I think that's also very important to keep in mind before you like really mm. dead set your mind on, I want to be a UX writer. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think one of the, so one of the big things we've tried to do with the, the Writers Collective is to really show people that you know, as they're going through the course that it's not just you working on this team. You are going to be working with a team of people and you need to understand how to work with those people. Um, you know, the the natural habitat of a UX writer or a content designer is, is within a team, right? Yeah. So understanding how to get alongside those people and work with them is paramount, you know. And knowing the skills of how to write is just like, it's not going to, it's not going to get you anywhere. I mean, it's again, to bring it back to journalism, it's the same thing with journalism. I can write the best copy in the world, but you know what I actually found? Like the best journalists aren't necessarily the, the best writers. Um, they are the best people who can, and I put myself in this topic, right? I was not a particularly um, exceptional writer, right? Like mm. I'm not, I'm, I wasn't really, you wouldn't really read my copy being, wow, he knows how to turn a phrase. But, I really know how to talk to people yeah. and I really know how to get them to say things and confide in me and build that relationship. Mm. And that's how a journal, that's the other half of how a journalist works, right? They get, they get that person to say that comment or they, they hear something and they think, hang on, can you pick up on that point? Can you expand on that? And, you know, that's the way, um, yeah, and so yeah, I think you're right. Like, intro like again, I'm an introvert as well, and so like after a day of meetings, I'm just like, 
exhausted and never want to talk to anyone. Mm. Um, but I think it's just, yeah, if you go in with that knowledge and you prepare yourself for it. I think the other thing about coaching and mentoring too that we haven't really touched on um, and is a whole really other topic in itself and uh, I just don't want to bring it up as more like an afterthought, but there are a lot of people who, you know, minorities, underrepresented groups, you know, accessibility and diversity and so on. Th these are the types of communities that could really benefit from like the coaching and mentoring um, and experience of people who are in those senior positions. Yeah. Um, and particularly, I, I, I've been thinking more specifically lately about um, how I can help people in those situations who don't have the means to get ahead, but but could be really great if they have the opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I've just been really thinking lately about, like, you know, what are ways we can give back from, you know, just individual questions, what's something we can do. So, yeah, when I come up with something, I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, but I think here again, to my point that I raised earlier in the conversation, I really think tech companies, especially since most of them really preach, like, oh, we want to hire more diverse talent, we want this, we want that. If they could potentially yeah. allocate budget to people to coach people and, you know, also coach that type yeah. of talent, I think that would be a great way to actually do something practical about it. <laughs> Since, you know, it yeah. has been identified yeah. many times that the main problem with, you know, hiring diverse people is that the pool like it's just not there because people just don't have the same opportunities. So I think this is like a great way to mitigate that. I really need to start pitching this yeah. more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, this is the thing. Like I, I do, I do like, I, I do get frustrated when I've not had these conversations in public, but I have had them in private with hiring managers who say, um, Oh, you know, our, our candidate pools are not diverse enough. And that it's not that they, aren't trying it's more that they just don't know where to look mm. um and I, i think if you engage more in community uh, i mean like i i could name a few if, if i went online now and i asked the ux writing community on the ux and content slack or on twitter and i said hey i'm looking for some you know uh, applications for this particular job you know i'd really love to see applications from minorities people of color underrepresented groups mm. I can guarantee I would get start getting applications mm. from people. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, it, it's really it's really not that hard. Like it's it, it is out there. Yeah. Um. So I think you're right. Like the more people can put their money where their mouth is, um, it's one thing. I think we've seen that with like companies that they. I mean, it's Pride Month, right? So it's it's um, it's it's one thing to put a logo on your Facebook page. It's another to dedicate like you know, like twenty thousand dollars to coaching new employees yeah. you know um so yeah the more companies do that the better i think yeah I, i i definitely agree with that i just like this morning i logged into linkedin and i noticed that they just changed their logo to like represent i think they want to represent the gay flag there's a couple of more colors in there so i'm not sure i totally get it but like you know cool. like fun but why don't you do something else like you could prioritize posts from like uh, lgbt Q plus people for a while or like but they don't do any of that it's just the logo and um yeah i don't know you see that yeah. do you see uh, that done by uh, so I mean, many I, i agree yeah like i think um look, i'm very hesitant to speak on behalf of another community i don't really want to do that um but like i i i will say that like at the writers collective for instance we think very very strongly about okay what are we doing that's actually making a difference oh. like what how are we actually making how are we actually prioritizing what like actually giving back to people oh. so you know for instance like we have a scholarship program oh. we've given over 200 scholarships to people wow um the, pe the person who looks after our scholarship program is a woman of color mm. right so so you know like it's those types of like practical things and i like please please don't take it as me saying like oh we're perfect and we're so much better like we ha we have these conversations continually mm. but it's things like that that i think you know they're the practical things that I think we've seen make a difference. Um, and so we're continually asking, how do we do more of that? Uh, you know, what opportunities can we look for? Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm excited about, I'm excited about all of that. I think, you know, it's getting, the industry is getting better at it piece by piece. We just need to do more. 
Yeah. No, but I've definitely also noticed that it's gotten a little better. Like you see, you see more those types of faces and like, I mean, companies are at least much more aware of it. So hopefully that will lead to some kind of action and um, hopefully those kind of actions will persist. Um, <clears throat> so like, I've definitely always tried to support it. I think another thing for me has been though, specifically in tech that is not talked about that much anymore either is the fact that in most companies just women are still <laughs> like super outnumbered um <laughs> so like alone that kind of diversity like you know like can we <laughs> maybe look at a couple more female candidates um that yeah. would be great and I mean, then it's the, it's the whole inter intersectional point yeah. right i mean I, i i it's interesting i um content strategy tends to be I mean, okay, I, I will quantify it this way. We, we did a survey a couple of years ago about the about UX writing salaries, and we did find that the majority of the market um, of, of the employees who responded to the survey were women, mm. right? So uh, overwhelmingly women, right? However, <laughs> there were points in the salary survey, especially at the top, where you look at, women and men in the same experience bracket in a particular market mm. and you can see that men are earning more yeah 100 and look now look our, our survey was not scientific um you know it, it had low data points so whole lot of caveats there but it does speak to what you're talking about right i mean there's there's um it, it, just because you have more women in a particular field doesn't necessarily mean that everything's you know looking sunny yeah um yeah no i totally agree and those salary discrepancies um some of the companies i've worked with i've definitely checked like the, the internal resources that we have to kind of check out salaries and i've noticed that this everywhere like even in the same mm -hmm. position men get paid more um and i have actually asked about it in like a couple of my previous positions and usually what i got was like oh but like this person has a family we asked this person to relocate with their family you know with the chance that their partner wouldn't get a job and like there's usually good reasons for it i'm not saying you know i'm not saying don't pay the men what they're getting i'm just saying then like <laughs> pay me the same <laughs> like um uh, you know you know what's bonkers is so so last year I interviewed at a major social company and I was given, um, I ultimately didn't accept, but that offer had a compensation package attached to it for a particular rate and that's fine. And then earlier this year I was speaking with someone who also was given an offer by this particular company and they told me what they were being offered and I mentioned to them, look, well, when they offered me something, this is what, this is what they offered me and it was higher than what she had been offered. Mm. So look, the salary and she's ex more experienced than me mm. as content designer. So it's just, it's so important salary transparency. Uh, and yeah, I think it just goes to show we're still, even though, you know, as I mentioned, there are a lot of women in content design, but there are still, the same issues yeah. coming up again. I think like for me, the most recent example was I got an offer from a company that I negotiated up um, to a certain point where I was okay with it, but ultimately I decided to decline it. They ended up hiring another woman in the position. Um, and like randomly we got in touch a couple of weeks or months after that. And, you know, we went out for a coffee and we talked a little uh, and we talked about salaries and she makes exactly half of what I was offered. And we have pretty much the same experience Ooh. level. Uh, and she didn't negotiate up. Yeah, and right. I mean, like, honestly, <laughs> it's just like not cool. And then, yeah. and then people complain that um, there's like such a high employee turnover in tech. Well, like if you fuck over your people already in the beginning, <laughs> like what do you expect? Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, there's so many things we could say about salary, right? I think, and especially with now more people working from home, I think that conversation is going to become even more complex because um, now we've seen companies saying that, okay, well, if you're not going to live in this hub, we're not going to pay you as much because of the cost of living difference and so on. So I think it's going to, yeah, introduce even more complexity into the, into the conversation. So I'll be interested to see where it stands in a year. Yeah. If people have actually, if, if 
we actually have all gone back to the office or um, people are still going to end up working from home. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I definitely agree. And I think like another minor issue here is that uh, a lot of people, when they get into UX writing, they maybe transition from a different kind of writer role. Um, the UX writing role is likely their first position in tech. So I think a lot of them just think, oh, this is a good salary. I don't need to negotiate this. Uh, and they'll take totally. it. Totally. Um, right. But then if you go from like 40 grand to 80 grand. Exactly. You know, you're going to, you, I mean, you're in heaven. Yeah. Never mind the the content designer next to you is earning 150. Exactly. Right? But it's, I mean, those, those are extreme examples. But yeah. It's still bad for for the for us as a whole group that wants to strive of course mm. for like better compensation and um yeah so that's why i constantly motivate people like you need to ask for more i think like most companies would probably not want to hire me if they knew how many of their employees i had coached to ask for more money <laughs> so um i think i i gotta tell you like as someone who is now you know co-running a business um if you are the right person um and you negotiate up, I mean, like, as long as I can afford it, I'll pay it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's really, like, and, and, and I, there are companies that take a pretty hard and fast approach to to negotiation. They'll say, oh, we're not going to negotiate or whatever. But, mm. you know, everything is negotiable. Yeah. And if you've gotten to the end, I mean, well, this is a piece of advice for any, you know, junior who's listening. If you've gotten to the end of a interview process, and you're being given an offer, uh, you, there is absolutely no harm in asking for what you think you're worth or asking for a higher rate. And if they come back to you and say, oh, we're withdrawing the offer because of what you, because you like counter offered, you didn't want to work there anyway. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And um, this I've also heard a lot, like, oh, I, I wasn't comfortable negotiating because I had such a bad experience at my previous company. Oh, it's, you know, it's a pandemic. I felt insecure. I just wanted to take it. I I think that's totally sure. legit. Like, I think all totally of us get it. Totally yeah, get it. feel like that. But um, yeah, still, it's always good to remember, you know, usually there's a little bit more in the tank and uh, you should definitely try to get in. <laughs> Yeah, I would never begrudge someone for taking an offer when they felt like when they felt like that they had to, right? Because ultimately, it's not on them if no. they're being underpaid; exactly. it's on the company, yeah. right? So it's not it's not their problem. Uh, well, I mean, it is their problem, but it's not their fault, is what I'm saying. Oh, oh. Um, so yeah, I think it's just people just need confidence in their abilities, and you know, just do it once, just 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 counter offer once. And see what happens. Oh. Be surprised how often people. I mean, like if you're offered like 120, and you go, "Oh, you know, thank you so much for that offer." I was, uh, you know, based on my experience, I was really thinking something around, you know, 140. Mm. Um, would would we be able to negotiate there? And you know what? Maybe they come back with 125. Mm. <laughs> it's five grand more in your pocket. You know, I mean, exactly. you know, exactly just little things like that. They take guts, but. Do it in an email and then it's much easier. <laughs> yeah, I, I always say to, to folks who are a little uncomfortable doing that. Um, for me, this is one of the things that I think freelancing has really helped me with since you negotiate your rates much more frequently than you would negotiate a salary. Uh, and mm. at the beginning, I also just took whatever and like I, I let companies come back to me with, oh, but like we can only afford this. Can you do it? And then as I got more experienced, I started saying no. And mm this may be unique to me, but I think not a single time has a company said, okay, but then we're not going to work with you. Not a single time. They always ended up no. accepting the rate. No, it's different when it's B2B, right? I mean, you set your rates and you stick to them. Yeah. Um, there have been times where people get to sort of like close enough when I was in my freelancing days and I'd be like, yeah, okay, no yeah. worries. But I mean, yeah, there's a lot to be said for setting a rate and having the confidence to stick to it. Oh. And, and that has really helped me, for example, negotiate salaries. So, and I think but it's I'm also, also I'm, I'm also like wary of this because um, I am aware of how, I mean, you, you were sort of joking about this earlier, but if I negotiate, right, I'm, I'm seen as like a, you know, it's a good personality trait, mm. right? If you negotiate or a woman negotiates or a woman of color negotiates, yeah. right? 
the perception is different. Yeah, that's true. And that perception is often negative. Yeah. Right. Then you're seeing as being troublesome or causing trouble or being difficult, you know? Yeah. So even that, like, even that advice is loaded. Yeah. It's it's totally true. Because there's just so much going on with whoever you're dealing with um that yeah there's really every every level of this is political yeah and especially like now you know i I think i've definitely you know people have probably felt that way about me and i had kind of the benefit of the doubt just because i have a lot of experience to show uh and you know the industry isn't that big so people can usually ask like someone they know that i've worked with how was it to work with nicole they'll say something positive and then they'll go ahead but you know people who are again more junior uh, maybe negotiating their first role, maybe negotiating their second role, they don't have that amount of experience to show for themselves. They're going to be, yeah. they are, have a bigger risk of potentially losing out or, you know, like being kind of put into that difficult box. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's of course also like a privileged position that I'm in here. Um, but that's yeah. also why I fight so hard for higher salaries because I think it's going to benefit everyone. <laughs> And that's why I think it's so so important for juniors to get as much of a portfolio under your belt as possible. Yeah. Um, even if it's doing spec work, because then you can at least go, look, I, I know how to write for interstitials. I know how to write for error messages. I know how to write for this, 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 and this, and this different context, you know. Mm. Because then when it comes to time for they offer you a salary, then at least you have a little bit of negotiating power. Yeah. You know, a little bit. Um, not a lot. But enough where you could, you know, try and get an extra few grand in your pocket. Yeah. Um, but again, it comes to, it comes back to that you, you have to navigate. Comes back to a discussion about relationships, right? Like you have to navigate these relationships very, very carefully. I mean, I was offered a freelance role, a contract role, excuse me, last year, and the the daily rate was something absurd. And I said, oh, would you consider? this amount and it was like 20 percent more mm. and they were like yeah i think we could go that high right now i like the the reason that per that negotiator said yeah i think we could do that is number one they didn't know me that well number one like i came recommended from someone inside right mm. point of privilege so the no the so the negotiate the hiring manager who i'm talking to is already predisposed to like me mm. right so that there's that number two uh i'm a guy so mm. it's two guys having a chat you know mm. there's the the power dynamic is pretty is pretty equal mm. right it's kind of like we're down at the pub having a beer right mm. it was it's that time right and then number three i'm in a position where i was already in a job like well paid i didn't need to move right mm. if i'm say and i'm wouldn't dare to imagine what this would be like but let's say i'm a black woman mm. right with say an accent maybe i don't speak english that well mm. or maybe i uh have i don't i, I don't know you, you can imagine any number of scenarios right mm. all of a sudden that the, those three points i just mentioned change maybe they don't know anyone inside that company so they don't have a recommendation right yeah. there you go that predisposition to like you and to accept your renegotiated offer is is gone oh. number two uh, you know, man and woman, right? Mm. And then the added feature of race, right? And then thirdly, maybe that person doesn't have a job, right? So, yeah, there's just all these power dynamics at play that as UX writers, I mean, we mentioned we're introverted, right? Said even uh, if you don't feel like you have the confidence to to negotiate. So I think the way we, I think the way we solve this is Let's spread our knowledge. Like we talked about to bring it back to coaching and mentoring. Yeah. The more opportunities we have to help people and to to put that knowledge in the people of you know, people who are going for an interview and so on, the, the more equipped they're gonna be. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I, I'm really happy that our conversation today took us to talk about this more. What <laughs> wasn't really what we had planned, yeah. but I'm super happy that we did. Um because totally. I totally agree with you. Like we need to talk about it more. Um, I think all of those salary surveys are great, but I also think that at least when I was more junior and I looked at them, I could even feel frustrated because some of those felt mm-hmm. so far away from me. So I think having like a more personal discussion like we had today where we kind of share what we've experienced and what we see, I really hope that's empowering for 
for the folks that maybe aren't that happy with their salary or feel like they got the shorter end of the stick. Totally. Get that money. Yeah. All right, Patrick, we're getting to the end here. Is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with before we close up? Um, no, I think we've cut a lot here. I think the only thing I would say is that if you, you know, listen to this and you're thinking like, yeah, do you want to get to that senior level and want to get to that lead level and you're a junior and you're looking at that career ladder, I would say like just invest a lot of time in understanding how to influence without authority and how to make sure that you can really get in the door and uh, work on your relationships with people because yeah. the better relationships you have with people, uh, the better the better experience you'll have with with design. Yeah, totally agree. Plus one on that. All right. Hmm. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you for joining. I really appreciate this. And I hope to see you maybe again on the podcast sometime later. Thank you, Nicole. Be happy to. Thank you. All right.